Amen. Good morning. You always need water when you come up here. Good morning. So, Pastor Steve has me filling in uh, in this morning as he's in Oahu at a pastor's leaders conference. It's called the How to Walk Conference, something that I would love to go to hopefully in the years to come, but that's what you get for being the assistant, right? We are here to fill those spots uh, when these times come, even when he tells you he's not going and then ends up going. Be ready in season and out of season. I had two days to prepare, so give me some grace today, okay guys? And so if you guys have your Bibles, could you please uh, turn to Mark chapter 6. Please turn to Mark chapter 6. We're going to be in verse 45 to 52. And if you don't have a Bible, please raise your hands wherever you are, uh, and the ushers and leaders will be happy to give you one. You guys can keep that and take that home and read it. I entitled, I entitled this message, Storming. And I know uh, growing up in Hawaii, my whole life, what we do get a lot of is weather and all different kinds. And what we do experience um, is a lot of storms, and it's just kind of due to where we're placed on the map. Maybe it's cold air and hot air meeting each other or because we're in the middle of the ocean. One thing I do know is this. What I simply know about storms is they come and they go. And guess what? They come back again. And you don't need to be a scientist to know that. And some storms are just bigger than others. But the point is here that we go through them. And maybe we heard the story, uh, this story in particular, many times and uh, through many services. And we might know the application, but it's something that's been very relevant to me these past um, <clears throat> couple weeks. And so I just want to share what's been on my heart. And so a little bit of context of what's going up um, until this point. Mark's uh, recording of the gospel has about 16 chapters, and so if you read through it, it moves along fairly quickly. And this is about Jesus' second year in ministry, and so if you don't know, this Jesus movement is exploding right now. Jesus comes on the scene teaching and preaching as well as uh, going toe-to-toe with these religious leaders and their religious system. And uh, what he's doing at this time is very unorthodox. He calls the fishermen and tax collectors to follow after him. Here's some Calvary Chapel one-liners, but he doesn't call the qualified, right? He qualifies the call. He sits with sinners and the outcasts, and he helps those who, help, who cannot help themselves. He is constantly in the business of restoring and healing people, people with leprosy. He's making the blind see he's, um, and, and the lame walk, and we just get to witness so many signs and miracles taking place everywhere that Jesus steps foot, as well as casting out demons and unclean spirits. I mean, this is what we would call today in our time ministry. And if you've been to our once-a-month camp, uh, I mean, not camp, but our agape feast, I couldn't imagine the men here at U-Turn. Oh, sorry. And so one miracle, I'm sorry, in particular, I'm getting ahead of myself, uh, leading up to our chapter, Jesus feeds the 5,000. Very familiar to us. And the fish and the bread, not including women and children. You guys remember that story? It's It's a very familiar passage. And so if you've been to our Again, once a month, Agape Feast, I couldn't imagine the men here at U-Turn for Christ having to pump out that many hot dogs and burgers, right? Like, but they had a small problem. For these disciples, they only had five loaves and two fish. 
But again, Jesus did the impossible. We know the story. The food multiplied, and it just kept coming and coming and coming, right? This miracle is one that is unforgettable. And we know this because it's written in all four accounts of the gospel. And so now in context of our chapter, what's going on here is after a long day of ministry, we see Jesus gather his disciples and he quickly sends them off. You see, the crowd that he just fed was pumped. But they also had the wrong idea of why Jesus came on the scene in the first place. The Jewish people, uh, we can see this in John chapter 6, verse 14 and 15. Uh, the Jewish people were waiting for some kind of sign that a prophet would return, as Moses said in Deuteronomy. And Jesus, in a sense, came and fed these hungry people, just as Moses did in the wilderness, with manna. And so all signs pointing to Jesus that this is the guy they wanted to make him king, right there. Not a bad idea. Not a bad plan. But we know that this wasn't the plan. And if you know the whole Exodus story, just as Moses led the captives free, bringing God's people out of Egypt in a sense, for us, we know that's our story. Paul says you and I were once slaves to sin, and we know Jesus came to deliver, to free us from the bondage of it. This was the plan for them and the entire world. It wasn't a physical deliverance, but a spiritual one. It was salvation for you and for me. And it's because their bellies were full and they seen this miracle. This is what moved them to make them king, to make Jesus king. I love what Jacob Elin says about this. He says, the first things first, if there's ever going to be a crown on Jesus, it would first be a crown of thorns. And if there was ever going to be a kingdom, it would not be of this world. The crowd only wanted a solution to their political problem. This is the context. It was the oppression of Rome, and it had nothing to do with the kingdom Jesus came preaching and offering. And so what does this mean for us today? You see, most times I myself can be so focused on my agendas, my kingdom, and the external and temporal things of this life. It consumes me. I can be missing the internal and the eternal side of things. And I believe most people today follow Jesus and don't, uh, don't have a problem making him king in their lives as long as it's going their way. As soon as Jesus does something other than what we expect him to do, we can get discouraged and altogether quit this race. And we see this very clearly in John chapter 6, verse 66. From that day on, many people no longer followed him. And so Jesus, knowing that his disciples could easily be persuaded from this will of the crowd, he quickly sends them off to protect them with what matters most. And so here we are, verse 45. It says, immediately he made his disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side, to Bethsaida. While he dismissed the crowd and after he had taken leave of them, he went up on the mountain to pray. And when evening came, the boat was out on sea and he was alone on the land. And he saw that they were making headway painfully, for the wind was against them, and about the fourth watch of the night, he came to them. And so I don't know if you know, I don't really know how boats were designed back then, but I'm a free diver, and so when Devin, uh, my boy Devin takes me out to go for a dive, we usually use his boat. And um, on the sides of the boat, there are something called oars, right, oars. And to explain them simply, there are just sticks with paddles on them. 
And if you ever tried to paddle even a small boat when the wind is blowing against you, you better be a strong man. And this is not me. Instead, you'll find me halfway down the beach. Ask these guys any day. I almost lost them yesterday, right? Thank God for motors. And so if you read John's account of this story, he says that they have been rowing for about three or four miles, and this is against the wind. And so I feel for these guys right now. This is somewhere between 3 and 6 a.m. This is dawn patrol. It's dark out. No lights. The storm was terrible. And they were straining, as it says in other translations. This means physical distress. Everything right now is hurting in my body. And they were beat. And the best part of it all is that Jesus told us to go this way. I love that. Like, this is God's will. And they thought that following Jesus was just going to be a breeze. Not according to this story. And that's not the reality, is it, sometimes? Those of you who have been following Jesus for quite some time now, you know that the storms and the trials of life can come at any moment. And when these storms come, if you are like me, you can question, why? Why? Where is God in this situation? Like, doesn't he know? Like, doesn't he know what we're going through? I kind of wanted to speak what was on my heart. I had two days. I was like, so what's really going on in my life right now? I wanted to share with you, church, just recently, my wife and I lost our twins. I mean, from having two... (coughs) Two prior miscarriages, we thought that this was it. I was so sure of it. Almost five months in, suddenly, (coughs) sorry. Almost five months in, suddenly, the doctors are saying there are complications now. That things don't look too good. Kind of feeling like the wind was against us. We had some time, we had some time given to figure out options, and we prayed to the Lord, like, why is this happening? Lord, don't you see our situation right now? And I was reading through many other um, (coughs) stories of people going through the same thing, and there was a lot of hope stirring in me. Why? Because of their success. But that's not our story today, is it? I really wish I could tell you God answered our prayers and everything has been smooth sailing from here. But just about a week ago, we lost our babies in Oahu. Lots of questions, lots of pain, lots of things running through our minds. And I want to tell you, maybe you've been through a similar situation. Maybe you're dealing something with something right now as we speak. Some kind of problem, sickness, or you're, you've lost someone close to you. I really don't know what you might be facing, but I want to be real with you this morning. And the first thing I'm going to tell you is this. For those of you uh, who came out drenched and beat up from your storms, who are still feeling those types of residual side effects from it, I'm not here to give you some cliche Christianese answer. This morning, I'm here to tell you what I told my wife, and it's okay to not be okay. Maybe you need to hear that. It's okay to not be okay. And to accept the situation just as it is. 
These disciples were not okay. And yet they kept rowing and rowing and rowing. And the first thing I learned from all this is that there is nothing good that comes from holding on to a situation that you cannot control. And because of this, there was so much what-ifs and maybe we should have. And what we were expecting, but holding on to these things, sorry, robbed me from the very peace and joy that God promises. And see, what we were expecting was uh, God, uh, uh, from God, was a miracle, actually. And so was everyone else. What we were expecting God to do was step into those final moments um, in the hospital and do something crazy. But those final moments just became final moments. And real quickly, I recognized that night, it's always been about what I expect from God and what I need him to do. And in these situations, rarely do I ask, what is God expecting from me? What is your will for my life, Lord? And I believe this is what Jesus was protecting his disciples from. To see a bigger picture. To see what they could not see at the time. To stop having an earthly mindset and open to our eyes to his heavenly kingdom. And in this life, when I prioritize my expectations and my agenda, low-key becomes about my kingdom, it's hard to see who Jesus really is in our lives. And it's impossible to see the lesson, even if he came to you walking on water. So let's read that. Verse 49 says, But when they saw him walking on the sea, they thought that it was a ghost, and cried out, for they all saw him and were terrified. But immediately he spoke to them and said, Take heart, it is I. Do not be afraid. And he got into the boat with them, and the wind seized, and they were utterly astounded, for they did not understand about their loaves, but their hearts were hardened. And so these miracles of multiplying bread and calming the storm had nothing to do with making their physical lives any easier. That's what they thought. It says their hearts were hardened. That means no understanding. Jesus never promised us riches and physical comfort. Instead, these miracles were performed in order to show us a few things. First things first, walking on water, calming the storm. This shows God's sovereignty, that he is Lord over all creation, and he is in full control over the storms we are incapable of getting through. And that's my point. The one thing I realized about our situation was that Jesus never intended to bring us out, but to get us through it. Why? Paul mentions this. In 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 3 and 4, he said, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our afflictions so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort which we ourselves are comforted by God. You want to know who ministers to marriages that are broken? Couples that come out of broken marriages. You want to know who ministers to people that are addicted to drugs and alcohol? Former addicts. So let me tell you right now that your suffering is never wasted. And that God is equipping you and I to relate and comfort to those who might be in the same storms of life today. And as Jesus multiplied 
the fish and the bread. He compared himself to these very things we need in order to live, to survive. Food and water. It says that the disciples did not understand about the loaves. And the meaning behind the miracle, the feeding of the 5,000 and having leftover baskets of food, it speaks of sufficiency. Having more than enough. That Jesus can provide for our needs, but it's not a physical one. Jesus says to the crowd, you only seek me because I fed you. And guess what? He was right. The crowd got hungry again. And in this life, you will never need enough food and miracles. Jesus said, do not work for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life. Jesus says, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall never be hungry, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. This miracle was performed to show us and the disciples that Jesus Christ is essential to our spiritual life and to our spiritual health. Only Jesus will meet you in the middle of these storms. Only Jesus can give you the peace which surpasses all understanding while going through them. And in John's gospel, it says that they were willing to receive him in the boat. And this is where it begins. It began for me. It begins with Jesus going before us in every storm and every situation. Not my will, but your will be done, Lord. I pray this morning that you would open your hearts and your minds to the spiritual reality of your storms and that in every storm there's a lesson. I pray that this morning that uh, what you've gone through becomes a tool for you to comfort those going through sim similar situations all over the world. You are not alone. Amen? Amen? Amen. Lord, I thank you so much for who you are. God, I just want to pray for anybody here that might be dealing with a storm, maybe going into one, or maybe feeling the effects of coming out of one. God, I pray that there would... Be healing, Lord, emotionally, mentally. And God, that you would just meet whoever is in need of you right now, right where they're at. And that you would equip them, Lord, through this and that they would be able to relate to others and to minister to others, God, and just to be that salt and that light to comfort those people who are in need. You are more than enough for us, Lord. And our sufficiency is from you and by you, God. Thank you for everything that you're doing in and through our lives. I pray that we would keep our eyes on you and that you would continue to give us a desire to have a more intimate and more meaningful relationship with you. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you.